If you are just getting started with the NGSS and 3D teaching, I want to invite you to check out Bring Wonder Back, an on-demand video series designed to help you understand why moving through the textbook and teaching topics is actually crushing your students' curiosity and what you can do instead. It's going to help you shift the work of learning where it belongs by building your understanding of explorations and discovery-based teaching practices. And finally, I'm going to help you take the first steps toward transforming your students into scientists through 3D learning, which is really what the NGS is all about. You can access this video series at iExploreScience/wonder and get ready to bring wonder engagement and a love for learning back to your science class. All right, to the show. Welcome to the Teaching Science in 3D podcast. I'm Erin Sadler from Sadler Science. And I'm Nicole Van Tassel with iExplore Science. We're here to cut through the confusion to help science teachers like you make science relevant and engaging with student-driven instruction. We know that when students take ownership of their learning, teaching can be simple and fun. Thanks for being here and let's dive into the episode. Making sure that your lessons are three-dimensional isn't always easy. While you don't need to include all three dimensions every single day, you do want to make sure that each dimension is regularly addressed. I developed a really simple 3D planner to help keep me focused. It helps me track which pieces I'm using in my daily lesson plans. It only takes me five minutes to fill out, and it helps me notice patterns in my own lesson planning. For example, when I first started using it, I noticed I wasn't including the cross-cutting concepts as often as I thought I was. Just by recognizing this, I was able to focus on this one piece and improve my lessons. Right now, you can grab the same template that I use for my own planning for free. Go to sadlerscience.com slash 3D planner to grab yours. That's sadlerscience.com slash 3D planner. And welcome to the Teaching Science in 3D podcast. This is Nicole Van Tassel with I Explore Science, and I'm here with Erin Sadler from Sadler Science. Uh, and today we're going to be talking about building relationships in our classroom, um, why, why we need to be doing it, and really what our students are getting from those relationships, um, and why it's especially important for three-dimensional NGSS teaching. So honestly, what we're going to tell you in the next, I don't know, 20 minutes or so, if you are maybe getting any pushback about whether you should be spending your time building these relationships or um, if you are noticing that you are struggling with, I don't even like teaching stuff and you're not really sure why, it could come back to relationships. A lot of times it does. Um, so maybe you'll hear something insightful. Yeah. And also, I mean, I think, you know, with COVID and everything, we all know that relationships are important, but we're going to kind of take it to the next level and talk about why it's important. Um, so if you're like, oh, I already know that relationships are important, don't tune out because I think that we have some extra stuff for you this time. Yeah, I so for the longest time, I felt like relationships were really important to classroom management. Like I knew that I valued it. I spent my time in the classroom building those relationships and it for sure paid off. But it was after I learned this like brain science stuff behind it that I really understood how important it actually was for learning right. and that literally learning cannot happen if there's not relationship, like, uh, like positive relationships. Right. Um, so. Yeah. And I think, 
Um, we have talked about this before, but when you switch to um, a student-driven learning environment, it's taking students out of their comfort zone and kind of like, yeah, I don't know, I feel like it's equivalent to like throwing them in the deep end, you know, like you're going to provide support, you're going to be there for them, but it's unfamiliar and there's going to be a sh hopefully short period of time where they kind of feel like they're drowning. And so you need to make sure that they feel supported as they go into that so that they trust you and know that you're going to be there for them as they're going through this difficult time because it's difficult. It, it, it is, it's a hard adjustment for teachers, but it's a hard adjustment for students too. And it really asks so much more of them. And like, like what you said, like it's asking them to do things that they, that are, that's different. It's, it's hard and it's different. Um, and if you, if you, I mean, honestly, if you don't have the relationships, they're just not going to do it most of the time, because it is a really like it asks them to be vulnerable, like right. to be vulnerable to being wrong, to being embarrassed, to, um, and, and that's something that I think even adults are super not comfortable with. I know I'm not comfortable with right. <laughs> I struggle with doing that myself, um, with saying things that I think might not be correct or might be wrong right. or might be worded the wrong way or any, anything like that. And, and our students feel that too. And it's, that's why just these relationships are so important if you want your students to actually engage and and persist through through this kind of the struggles of, of 3D teaching. And one of the things that we've seen is that it's not necessarily our students who don't traditionally do well in school because they're they're kind of comfortable with that. They're you know they're comfortable with being you know who they think they are. Yeah. And now I feel like those students have a tendency to kind of thrive in this environment. It's your high achieving mm -hmm. students though who really struggle because you're changing the game for them and yes. you're you it has the potential to be a situation where you have a high achieving student who goes home and tells their parents like this isn't working out and that kid has probably never told their parents that before and yeah. you know they're complaining about you and what is that parent going to think they're going to think oh yeah. you're doing something wrong with my kid who has never had a problem before so yeah. it's so important yeah and I think like for high achieving, so like, I mean, I was a little overachiever, high achiever mm -hmm. student in school. And I feel like I never struggled until I got to college really. Yeah. Um, and there were some classes I had to work hard in, but I never, you know, for, I, I feel like for real struggled until I got to college. Um, but I feel like so much of your identity as a, like a high achiever or, or whatever, you know, a good grades kid is being right all the time or like having the right answer. And being wrong is like, <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> so, um, so those students are, they're, they're not going to, they're not going to want to risk being wrong. They just want the textbook answer, you know, so we can build these relationships where they know it's like safe and that you can just do a lot of deeper learning. Right. Get a lot deeper. Right. Yeah. I'm definitely a know-it-all. I, only want to know the right answer. Um, so I totally feel their pain so much. Yes. yes. Yeah. And yeah, and just like that safe space where you, you know, so, okay. Are, are we going to dive into like a little bit of the brain science? Yeah. Why don't you go ahead and do that? Cause that's kind of more of your area of expertise. Okay. So I just find it super fascinating. And actually, if anybody is listening and wants to read more about this, um, the book culturally responsive teaching and the brain by Zaretta Hammond is 
like so, so good. Um, and that's starting me off on my little journey into brain science stuff. So I'm just going to give you a super quick synopsis, but basically our brains are constantly scanning for pretty much two things like threats and relevance. The relevance part <laughs> comes in really handy when you're talking about phenomena. So I, I found that book super fascinating on that, that front, but like the threat part. So our brains are always looking for, for threats, for bad things that can happen. And you see, especially with, um, and I mean, a lot of our students have had some sort of a lot of people have had some sort of trauma of some type where that, that scanning like mechanism goes a little haywire where like either everything seems like trauma or you just can't determine what is, or everything seems like a threat or you can't determine what is a threat and what's not a threat. Um, and, and now we're diverging a little bit, but like in my own ex- personal experiences and all of that, that can like feed into anxiety. Cause you're like, I don't know if I'm being really weird and freaked out by this, something that's not really that important. And I'm having this totally not, um, like not, not logical or illogical response to something. And so we see that in students too, is my point, but either way, um, what, what we know about like the brain can help us kind of get past that. But basically our brains are always scanning for these threats and for the brain, a threat could be physical, social, emotional, like they're, it's all the same for the brain. So our students might not be worried that you're going to punch them in the face, but they are equal. Our students' brains are equally worried about like get becoming embarrassed and by getting the wrong answer or like, these are all threats, right? So the brain is constantly scanning for that. And that's using up brain power, basically like doing that. And if the brain identifies a threat of some sort, your brain has like this guard dog that the amygdala that will like bypass all logical reasoning and all like higher level thinking. And it will flood your body with like cortisol and it will turn off all of your thinking. And then all you can do in that moment is react. Like you literally cannot logic your way out of it. You cannot think your way out of a situation like that. And so the problem with that is like in the classroom, if our students get scared or get freaked out or get, um, you know, nervous about saying the wrong answer in a discussion, or they're working through analyzing data and they're getting stuck and they're getting frustrated and they're thinking of, you know, having those feelings of failure and everyone's like laughing at them or they're embarrassed or whatever, their brain literally shuts down. And at that point they cannot continue thinking. They cannot continue like logically reasoning. They cannot continue learning because their brains are like just literally on fight or flight kind of response. And the, so that's like the bad outcome. Right. And the one thing that I also found super fascinating was when that kind of thing in your brain happens, it can leave your body like in that state for up to 20 minutes or even up to like a couple hours. So something that could have happened in the, mo- in the morning, like could be affecting them in their next block or like, you know, after lunch or whatever, even potentially. And you don't, you don't always know that. Right. So that's just something to keep in mind, but what you, we can do, and we can't really control all of that stuff. Right. But what we can do is when our brain is when, our, when we are in a, community where we feel connected to people and we are have we have positive relationships and we feel safe our brain releases some other like nicer chemicals like oxytocin and things like that that basically tells the brain's guard dog to just like go chill out go take a nap leave us alone like we're gonna stay here and hang out with these people that i i trust and i'm I'm comfortable with and i'm safe with and that's when like the learning can happen 
So when you have these classrooms where students go in and they are feeling isolated and they feel alone and they don't feel connected to anybody and they are fearful of being embarrassed or fearful of getting the wrong answer or, uh, or fearful of just failing themselves before they even have a chance to learn, their brain is basically primed to like shut down learning. And instead, when you have like a classroom that you've really built strong relationships between you and the student and between, you know, students in the class and you've really developed that culture, your students can come into that classroom and they're, they feel safe. They feel connected. They have their friends there. They have a good relationship with you and all of those good fun chemicals in their brain can tell their brain to like, just chill out and go relax and amygdala, just go take a nap. Like we don't need you right now. We're safe here. And then that's when learning can happen. So it's like literally those relationships are the first step to like getting or priming your students to even begin to engage in learning. And that's my, that's my brain science lesson for today. And I'm sure I didn't do like a super technical job of that or, um, but you know, that's the gist of it. Read the book for like all the technical terms. Sure. Well, and so we have, I've been talking a lot about that with my daughter and we talk about like how it's your lizard brain. And if you look at like how a lizard reacts, there's only a couple of things that, that, that the lizard does. It eats, you know, and it's yes. you know always looking for food, whether or not it really needs it, you know, cause it can't get access to food all the time. And it is looking for birds and, you know, stuff like that. And that's about it. You know, like there isn't a lot of you know, there's not like love, there's not, you know, this higher right. level emotional thinking. And in any time that you're in stress, you become a lizard, you know, like, so yes. yeah. So that's just kind of like my, how I explain it to my 10 year old is, you know, if you're, yeah. you're feeling a little bit off or, um, she is kind of like a little bit, um, like really into sugar right now. And she's like, why do I want so much sugar? And, you know, like, you know, talk about, you know, that it's your stress response. Your body's like, Oh, if I'm, if I have food, I'm safe. You know, your body's just like trying to find stuff. So yeah. 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 So, and I think it's just really helpful when you understand that, because then it's like, there's truly a, a, and a really, really important reason that I am investing this time and this energy in building these relationships and in cultivating this culture in my classroom and all of that, like it is fundamental to learning. And if you are, and I, I see this with teachers sometimes, like they're doing all the like right things, you know, they're doing the 3d lessons and they, and, but they, if they don't have those strong relationships with their students, their students are just not engaging. Like right. the teachers are trying to do the lessons, but the students are just not like holding up their other half of the bargain or whatever. And it's, it really comes back to, well, they don't have those really strong relationships or that classroom culture that gets, gets kids or, or like makes, like, I don't want to say like makes, but helps them be more willing to engage with the lessons and the learning. Yeah, exactly. And um, one of the things that we talked about right before this was, you know, just making sure that students' basic needs are met and that if those basic needs aren't being met, that they're more likely to be anxious and they're more likely to be off. And when we know our students really well, we can kind of see that. We can see that there's something a little bit off. You know, um, I remember I had, um, when I was a junior in high school, my dad had a heart attack right before school started. And um, luckily I had my AP bio teacher, I got to be her TA too. And she would just like say, hey, I see you're having an off day. What can we do? You know, like, and it was 
so wonderful to just have somebody recognize that I was having trouble because I'd never had trouble before, you know, like I never, there was never a point where I needed that extra help, you know? So I didn't know how to do that. And having just an adult say like, are you okay? Cause you don't seem like yourself made a huge difference. Yeah. And even, um, so I, I had a student in my class that would just sleep every, he, I, it was first period or first block or whatever. And he would come in and he'd, he'd sleep like half of the classes. And he was not, he was a, a pretty smart kid, um, when he did anything, but again, half the classes, he just slept and, and that's what he did. And literally I went through the entire year, um, just thinking that he was kind of like lazy and just, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know, whatever. And then we got to the end of the year and he got some kind of award at like the awards. I can't remember what it was, but the teacher next to me was like, oh, he's such a nice kid. You know, he works at XYZ, whatever place it was, um, like every night. And his mom's like a single mom. And I think he helps take care of his his sister too. And, you know, he's just like the nicest kid. He works till like 11 or 12 o'clock every night, I think. And I just remember hearing that and thinking like, "Mm, good one, Nicole. I totally judged him as like being this lazy slacker for the entire year. When in reality, he was tired because he was like working like from after school till midnight or whatever. And I never knew that about him. And so the lesson here is like, maybe give your students the benefit of the doubt for one, but also if you have those good relationships, like kind of like what you said, you can recognize when a student's off, but also your students are more willing to like open up to you about or, or share that information with you. And so then you can be aware and try to work with them to figure out what you can do to help them be successful or to help them succeed in your classroom or whatever. But if you don't know that, then if you don't have those relationships, then you don't necessarily have that information. So one of the things that tends to happen, I mean, I think we've all had this experience where a student falls asleep in class and it becomes like the joke of the classroom, like, Hey, this kid's sleeping. Ha ha ha. You know, like, um, and I just think, you know, if you, instead of saying, oh man, this kid is sleeping and making fun of it. Or, you know, I've seen teachers like, you know, everybody leave the room or, you know, do something like that. Um, If you just like model empathy and say, hey, that maybe that person needs to sleep, you know, like not only are you being compassionate for that student, but you're also teaching everybody else that it's a safe space, you know? Yes. Yeah. That Then that's important too, like having, creating the culture where these things, you know, these things are not okay to do in this classroom because this is a safe space or because this is how we treat each other in here. And, and, and having that, it's not just you, the relationship between the teacher and the student, but it's also like the environment and the culture of like the whole classroom. Yeah. And I mean, I've always heard, you know, like kids don't want to do not the right thing. Kids always want to try to do the right thing. You know, I, I've probably in my entire career have met maybe five kids who just, I don't think that that's true because something else is going on there. But, you know, like for the most part, kids want to do the right thing. So if you go from that place and try to figure out why that's not happening, it, it changes the whole story that you're telling yourself. Yeah. And, and like uh, what you said before, before we started recording this, actually like assuming the best intent, you know, giving them like the benefit of the doubt, assuming that, um, yeah, that they, that they want to, they want to do the right thing. And and yeah, exactly like what you've said. Um, I think that along those lines, like, and, and when things do not go the way that you want approaching that with like curiosity, Mm -hmm. um, 
and this, this is something that someone told me about just relationships in general, not, not between students, like between spouses and between parents and like whatever, but just instead of, you know, immediately reacting to something, but like approaching with curiosity, actually someone even told me to do this about my daughter because lately she's like really into saving like everything, like a leaf or a piece of tape that she likes or like, and, and they're like, well, why don't you just ask her why she wants to do that? <laughs> I'm like, okay, I'll, I guess I'll try that. <laughs> like, what's so special about this leaf? Maybe she'll realize that it's a little silly to be crying over this piece of tape we have to throw away. Right. Um, but yeah, so approaching it like with curiosity and and assuming the best. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. So I think that's all we had to say about like really why you should be investing this time in building relationships. Um, and if you don't have those relationships, maybe it can, it might be explaining some things that you have seen in your classroom in the past, or maybe, you know, seeing even now, um, and it's never too late to build relationships. I I shared, I think it was in the last episode about how I totally ruined my like classroom culture and all the relationships in my classroom really, really, really badly. My first year teaching in a public school and, um, and I did manage to turn it around and it was, you know, late October mid-October or whatever, by the time I started making those changes and that progress and, and it did turn around. um, I don't know. I think kids are forgiving when you admit that you messed up and, and are, are, you know, making an effort to connect with them. So uh, it's never too late if you have maybe done some things that have messed up some of the relationships in your classroom, like you can definitely fix most of those. Oh, for sure. And they're not used to hearing adults say that they're wrong. And it makes a huge difference when you're, when you do that, when you're vulnerable with them like that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then you're opening the door for them to do that with you too. Yeah. So awesome. If you guys have any thoughts, feedback, questions, whatever, reach out for to us. Um, you can send us messages on Facebook, Instagram. Uh, you can leave a review for this podcast. We really appreciate it when you can leave reviews. It helps others find this podcast you could share this podcast, like with a colleague that might also be interested, that's awesome too. Um, we would love to reach more teachers like you and connect with you guys each week. Yeah. Hi, we'll, we'll catch you later. Bye. Bye. Making sure that your lessons are three-dimensional isn't always easy. While you don't need to include all three dimensions every single day, you do want to make sure that each dimension is regularly addressed. I developed a really simple 3D planner to help keep me focused. It helps me track which pieces I'm using in my daily lesson plans. It only takes me five minutes to fill out, and it helps me notice patterns in my own lesson planning. For example, when I first started using it, I noticed I wasn't including the cross-cutting concepts as often as I thought I was. Just by recognizing this, I was able to focus on this one piece and improve my lessons. Right now, you can grab the same template that I use for my own planning for free. Go to sadlerscience.com slash 3dplanner to grab yours. That's sadlerscience.com slash 3dplanner.